0: Okay, let's get into Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. If you have your scripture journal, if you have your Bible, it will also be on the screen above you. And uh, let's, uh, let's read it, and then I will pray. This is the words of the Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia and also uh, for us today. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Lord, today as we come to your word, we submit to to your authority that is found in it. We thank you for the infallibility of your word. Lord, that it points to you. We thank you that it is truth for our lives. That it presents to us the way of salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would soften our hearts today, open our ears so that we would be able to hear and receive what you would have for us. In your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have just kind of... Come today as a visitor, or if you're just watching on, online, tuned in for the first time, haven't been with us a little bit on this journey. One, I'd point out, uh, all of our sermons are available on podcasts or also on our YouTube channel to catch up. But here's a, a quick recap of where we're at in this letter to the Galatians. And so the Galatians were primarily, this, these churches were Gentile believers, so non-Jews, and they have come to faith in Jesus... Through Paul's ministry so the Apostle Paul was was radically converted from uh, from being a Pharisee from being someone that was a persecutor of Christians and to now being called by God as a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles and so he has gone to these places and he has laid a foundation of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ what he has done for them and these people received it they responded in faith But then paul went on he had other missionary work to do other places to to preach and while he was gone another group kind of known as the judaizers and so they were ones that were jews but they had also received christ and the gospel but they they were held on to the idea that they still needed to be obedient and compliant with the works of the law with the law of moses and so they were saying yes jesus but we also needed to add the law. And so they came into this group of, of these Galatian churches, and they said, great, you you've received Jesus, but don't you know, you also need to become circumcised. You also need to obey all these dietary restrictions. You need to submit to the law. And so these new believers, these, these Galatians, Gentiles, were like, okay, what, what do we got to do now? And so Paul has heard this, and he's kind of freaking out about this a little bit. He's saying, what's going on? He's, he's pretty angsty in this letter, as we've talked about, because he's saying, that's not what I preached. That's not what you were taught. And so now he's writing this letter and saying, hey, what's, what's going on? Why are you being misled by, by these other people? Okay, that's kind of the idea. So he's got a bit of an angry tone, and this is going to continue uh, throughout this part of the letter in uh, the first five verses of chapter 3. So here we go we're gonna look today at uh, these five verses and what they they reveal what Paul is saying so he's got a few things here so first of all we're gonna talk about this this common style of of argument this persuading technique that the Apostle uses uh, in these verses we're gonna talk about this common reminder of the cross the significance the priority of the cross And then thirdly, an uncommon appeal to experience. This is something that was was not Paul's necessarily go-to all the time, was to talk about spiritual experience. We'll get into that. Okay, so first of all, this common style of of argument, of persuading that he goes into. And interestingly enough, he uses name-calling and rhetorical questions. This was the kind of the strategy and this was common type of persuading techniques in this culture so he he calls them first of all he says you foolish galatians kind of calls them out now you might think at first he's saying you know why are you being so stupid might use you know this why 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 is this and and you think well how how would that go over today in churches today if your pastor would come to you every Sunday morning and, and kind of call you names or say, you know, you ignorant people, um, you know, maybe, maybe you would like that. Maybe you would respond to that. I, I had a, a friend, who he had a pastor at one time that this pastor was a kind of a scolder every Sunday. He would he would really be scolding the people and calling you know down on them and saying, you know, you gotta gotta try harder, you gotta pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you gotta, you know, work harder at being a Christian and and kind of just really yelling a lot. And this friend of mine he said, you know what, I actually really like that. It was kind of like getting a verbal spanking every week. And I just felt, man, you're right, I gotta be better, I gotta do more. And and he responded well to that, but not A lot of others to be yelled at so name-calling necessarily wouldn't work in in our culture although sometimes we we find uh, it seems to be a practice of those keyboard warriors if you know what I mean it's easy behind a computer to uh, to type things and to call down names but I don't really know the effectiveness uh, for the gospel but this is what Paul doesn't but he says you foolish you foolish people and this isn't something that he was saying really that you are you're just you're ignorant you're stupid the word foolish here is really saying like talking about a people that you've been educated you've received the knowledge of this of the truth but you aren't applying it so you have all the all the knowledge but now you're now you're you're stuck now you're not actually implementing what you've been taught now, we see also this, this strategy of, of name-calling is used throughout, throughout Scripture. Obviously, the, the prophets, they got pretty heated at times and called the people of Israel uh, some pretty strong things. We see also in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4, the author of James, he says, you know, calls his readers like, you adulterous people. <laughs> Even Jesus himself used this tactic not for the general crowd but for those who are speaking up pretty much against him as far as the religious leaders and the Pharisees he called them hypocrites he called them whitewashed tombs you know it's like a grave that just has it's a nice and clean on the outside but inside it's it's death and decay he called them a brood of vipers it was pretty strong words. So this was a this was a technique that was used. It wasn't necessarily to, to speak down or to hurt the person's feelings, it was to expose a truth. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here is exposing a truth. So he's not saying, you know, you you idiots. He's just saying you should know better. Why are you why are you following this when you've been taught differently? Paul also says, who has bewitched you? Which is an interesting term. He's not saying necessarily that someone has cast a magical spell on you. But it's, it's the idea that someone something has captured your attention. Something that's distracted you. The word also has a connotation of, of being fascinated with something. What's, what's fascinated you that's, that's got you off track? Almost an idea of if you had a, you know, how a cobra looks at its prey and there's kind of this, this evil eye or this, this idea that the, the eyes, if they gaze into this snake's eyes, it's going to kind of put them into a trance right before it strikes. This is the idea. What's, what's captured your attention and held you in this trance-like state, stunted your growth? And Paul goes into rhetorical questions. And this, again, was, was a common uh, argument style in the day. And this is, of course, uh, if you're familiar with English or grammatical studies of, of rhetoric or what a rhetorical question is, is an argument style. It's a, it's a form of a question that, that doesn't require an actual answer. You're not really looking for an answer because it's kind of clear that the object or the, you know, of, of it is to make a point. I think that this style is still actually used effectively today. It's like when your wife says, are you trying to protect the carpet by tossing your clothes on the floor beside the laundry basket? (laughs) Or you you ride often with a friend, and the friend has this annoying way of, of driving a lot with their gas gauge on empty. And so you say, you know, does your car run on good thoughts or air? See, these questions don't need answers. They're, they're asked to prove a point. Put your laundry in the basket. Put some gas in your car because I don't want to push or walk. This is the idea of the point of these questions, rhetorical. Jesus also uses this quite often. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's rhetorical. It's not like he expected the reader to say, okay, let me think about this. How am I going to balance? i got to gain all this stuff. But I could lose my soul. Hmm. Toss-up. It's obvious this is the point of it. Paul also says, Romans 8.31, he says, if God is for us... Who can be against us? Again, it's not like the reader's going, okay, all this thing. No, if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. This is the point. And so Paul goes in into this passage with four rhetorical questions that revolve around a key idea to these people. Of, of all the things that you've received, all the things that things that have happened to you. From the beginning, since you met Christ, did you receive those things from faith or from the law? Now, it's, it's clear to them because they had no idea as far as the law and what was the requirements of the law when Paul was initially telling them the gospel. And so they received it and received the Spirit, and it was only later that they were taught by these Judaizers that, oh, wait. We don't have enough. We, we, it's not enough. It's not sufficient in Christ. Oh. But by that time, all the things that they had experienced were their spiritual realities. And this is what he's addressing. See, of all the things that they had received from the beginning, that was what they needed now. And so as Carson said last week in the same vein, how you have responded to Christ, how you have received salvation is what continues to sanctify you to save you all right so here we go a common reminder of the cross verse one we're only in verse one hey he says this it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed as crucified and this is this is a common theme obviously of the apostle paul through scriptures pointing back to the cross Pointing to the cross this is the priority this is what is essential first Corinthians 2 verse 2 he says for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified now the idea here with Paul speaking this to this group of people is not that they had actually been outside of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and that they had visually seen Jesus on the cross they wouldn't have been there. What he's saying is he's referring to his teaching to them and says, When I was with you, when I imparted the knowledge, the, the truth of the gospel to you and you received it, he said, This is, this is what was publicly portrayed to you as, as crucified, Jesus crucified. Basically, he's saying, I, I, I painted you a picture, clear as day. Another picture would be of a, of a billboard or a placard like that someone's walking around with, or for us today as you're driving along, and, and there's just a massive billboard. Like, you couldn't miss it! And this is what Paul is saying to them. He says, how, how could you miss this? It was so crystal clear from what I was teaching you that the way is through Jesus. And I hope us today... As a church, and I hope you, as you come here and you get involved here and you understand what we are about, and you're hearing this loud and clear, that, that we continue to paint this picture week after week in the songs that we sing and the words that we, we speak. That the way to right relationship with God is not through your effort or your performance, but through faith in what Christ did on the cross. And it's a beautiful picture. John Stott says there is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. The cross is central. Alright, so Paul goes in now to an uncommon appeal to experience. It's uncommon for Paul because he often is one of logic, of, you know, rationale, of, of pointing to biblical, you know, theology and saying this is, this is the way it is. But here he goes, he's talking about some spiritual experiences that have happened in their lives. And he's going to go back, for sure, you know, to the biblical theology and, and to logic and debate. But he's appealing to them on the basis of their spiritual experience so three ideas three things that he points to here one is their their conversion experience he says when you received the Spirit see they had heard the good news of Jesus they responded in faith and repentance and then they received the Spirit and this might have been accompanied by the gift of tongues It might have been, you know, it was a powerful, memorable experience for this group of people to hear the good news of Jesus and respond. And so something for them to, to look back and say, remember when you received Jesus. And he said, did this come from faith or obedience to the law? And again, as we said, they had no idea about what the law was all required. And so this was all an experience just that came from faith. Then he says trials, verse 4, as far as these persecutions that you have experienced, are they just in vain? they had experienced persecution, probably from, from Jews like, like Paul had been. And this came after choosing to follow Jesus, not becoming a Jew and following the law. There wouldn't have been persecution for that at that time from, from the Jews. And he says, miracles and mountaintop experiences. These, they witnessed powerful miracles, verse 5. This is what the work of the Spirit did. They saw miracles. And this, again, was because of the Spirit's work, not because of anything to do with their obedience to the law. So the experiences that Paul mentions here should remind us today of our own spiritual journey. It's not that every day we have spiritual highs, But there's key spiritual moments in our lives. And those serve to remind us of God's instrumental work in our lives. Think about your conversion experience, the time where you received Christ. You might remember that day very well. Perhaps you were a child simply saying yes to Jesus with a parent. Maybe you were a teenager at a summer camp or, or a youth group maybe as an adult when you you came to the end of yourself and you cried out to god it may be a moment it might be a series of moments but it involved surrender you surrendered in faith and you received the spirit of god and this was a result of god's grace not your efforts or good work so today as a reminder think back To the moment the moments of your salvation coming to Christ it's a powerful experience trials in your life perhaps you think of all the things that you've gone through that are hard and I know some of you are walking through some pretty hard things right now you wouldn't say necessarily well that was a, a good experience but perhaps it was a testing And there was perseverance that that shaped your faith and and how you saw god walk with you through that difficult time you might look back and say those were some of the hardest moments of my life and yet also some of the best times of my walking with god because he was there with me we use this term sometimes of mountaintops and mountaintop experience and and sometimes we've grown to use this as a, as a negative experience, saying, like, you can't, you can't live on the mountain. And so there's times where you have a, an experience at, at camp or a mission trip or whatever it is, and it's just like this spiritual high. And, and we work at camp, and this is often a, a term that's used as far as kids that come through camp and have a spiritual high, and then they go back home, and it's just like kind of life back to normal and, and same challenges, and all of a sudden you're, you're outside of the, the camp community. Whatever experience that you've had they say that was the time that I was the closest to God. And you say, that was a spiritual high. And sometimes we, we, we speak negatively of that experience. Because we say, wow, well, that, you know, that was just, just a high. It wasn't my everyday life. But, you know, I, I've come to see those mountaintop experiences as very critical for my life. Experiences in my faith, these serve as spiritual markers that I can, I can draw from. And I think that that's what Paul is getting at here. Go back to your spiritual experiences. Remember how the Spirit has moved in your life. And so for me personally, I remember my baptism when I was, when I was 17. And I just remember that was a very critical time in my life where I said, I'm going to either follow you, Jesus, or I'm going to just go and do my own thing. And I choose to follow you. I remember moments at, at camp as a junior high kid where I responded to, you know, one of our cabin leaders just, just sharing with me what Jesus has done for me and things that I had heard as a kid in Sunday school, but just came to life in that environment. And I just responded, I just want to know Jesus. It was a spiritual moment. I have countless memories of of times being on mission trips where i just saw god answer prayer and do incredible things among our team and of those that we served with i remember times where as a youth pastor we would take kids doing street witnessing in vancouver and calgary and we were scared spitless you know what we were doing we just called on god and said, like just god you need to show up because we we're so scared and we prayed and and the conversations that came out of that is we just complete strangers, we started hearing their stories and asking how we could pray for them and just the things that happened. Those were moments that I like, I won't forget. Times where I was in Bible school, sitting under good teaching, wrestling with, with people, well physically but also, you know, in, uh, in the dorms. You know, just how do we live this Christian life? Learning from each other, those were spiritual moments I won't forget. And maybe for you, you have some of those that you're referring, you think back to, and you say, "This was undeniably God working in my life." Maybe it was just in a, in a worship service where you sensed the Lord's presence. What I want to ask you to do in this moment—I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Sorry. Um, but I want you just to take a moment with a few people around you, just gonna give you a couple moments. You don't have to share anything if nothing comes to mind, but if something comes to your mind that you would want to share with someone beside you, just a moment in your life where you said, undeniably, that was a, a moment with God, a God experience. Okay? And maybe you'll you have to think a little bit and we'll give you, you know, just a couple minutes to do it. But just, just to say this was a moment that was undeniably God that I point back to you as a spiritual marker in my life. It could have been an answer to prayer. It could have been something that you just experienced, God. Okay, just take a couple minutes to do that, and then we'll come back. Go for it. all right sorry I hate to interrupt here's one thing I'll tell you maybe you want to continue that over lunch and that could be a conversation around the table something that is undeniably like that that's something you hold on to and that's a spiritual marker in your life in your faith okay so coming back to this Paul what is what is kind of the point here what is he trying to get at and what was the trigger for these experiences and basically saying this was did that happen as a result of your faith and receiving the spirit or was it a result of obedience to the law and again that was a rhetorical question and it was again very clear it was a result of, of faith and the spirit okay let me have a little bit of a, a course correction here just for some things as far as uh, balancing in our spiritual life experiences one of the things we we talk about kind of often here in our sermon series is is sort of some some big words but you're probably used to them if you've been around for a while but three kinda orthos Uh, one that's not there is uh, orthodontist but uh, it's the same it's the same kind of idea because you want straight teeth you go to an orthodontist so ortho meaning straight or or right okay so we talk about orthodoxy being right beliefs this is this is our our doctrine our what we say this is true then there's orthopraxy is how we live this out right living walking in obedience to god and his commands not as a as a way to please god in a way of being acceptable to god and the things that we do in our performance it's as a result of our love for god and walking in right relationship with him we want to do what pleases him and so orthopraxy is important. You can't kind of separate those two. If you, if you have right beliefs, but you don't have right living, those don't match up, okay, then, then we're, you know, you're talking there's a hypocrisy there. If you have right living, you're doing all the right things, but your beliefs are on, off, then, then you're kind of walking in heresy. So you don't want to be a heretic and you want to be a hypocrite. You want to have those things in alignment. But one of the things that is often mis- um, understood or or left out of this is the last one is orthopathy and that is the right right affections and we see this so clearly in scripture is that we're, we're called to love god with our our whole heart soul mind and strength there's an affection for god it isn't just about having all the right the right beliefs and the right living those are important and, and i think that that can be stirred out of your affections but You have to realize as it says here the gospel is is beautiful it 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 speaks to our our hearts to our emotions the way that God has made us and so the love of God that's poured out for us in Jesus it should stir our hearts and our affections again in the balance of those of those things but see we weren't simply designed to just agree theologically with Jesus Or even just follow obediently biblical principles we were also meant to live experientially the christian life by the power of the spirit j.i packer says knowing god is an emotional relationship we have emotions and it's connected to to our walk with god too scott mcknight though says theology without experience is sterility while experience without theology is emotionalism. So there is, there is this balance that we, we walk in. Okay, to wrap up today, here's some, uh, some takeaways. First of all this, don't disregard experiences that you've had or emotions, don't disregard them, but also don't let them drive the bus. Don't let them drive the bus, and that expression basically, that, that's the thing that's, that's leading the way, that's the thing that, that drives your spiritual life. Those things should be um, entailments, really, the f- things that follow your, your faith and desire to walk, and then these, these experiences come out of that, but that doesn't drive the bus. See, we won't always have warm fuzzies or, or feel God's presence or his love tangibly. We hold to the scriptures that tell us who we are in Christ and remind us of what he is doing, even when we don't feel it, Even when we don't experience it always in the way that we hope sometimes pursuing experiences can really lead us to deception because we know that our our enemy is an angel of light and so if you're just saying God I want I want experiences I want experiences I want experiences you you might have some and they might not be um, good ones in line with Scripture Secondly, experiences need to be grounded in in what is common uh, to to us as a church. What is witnessed, what is shared, and what is biblical. And so in this, we realize we are part of a community of faith. We don't walk in in isolation. And so the things that we experience, we should be able to bounce those things off each other and have people that have discernment also speak into our life. One example of this would be, um, whether there's there's books or some people that have have shared stories about uh, after-death experiences or, or near-death experiences it's just an example but in, in some cases like that could be could be helpful and you say wow like that was that was really powerful for, for me to realize that you know there was there's was light or there was You know whatever but sometimes it could just be like yeah when I I was almost dead and I and I and I you know I saw my my dog or my cat and and all and I was on a roller coaster and like just all these kind of things they say your personal experiences need to be validated with what is in the Bible what is scriptural, what is truth okay so that's that's important and so we walk in community and with discernment with each other as far as our experiences go finally this we receive the spirit by faith which involves belief and surrender and so I want to ask you this today very clearly if that has been your experience see your experience of conversion whether you can recall the exact moment or not but at some point or another there needed to be a a surrender in your life and perhaps you're, you're wondering, okay, I don't know exactly if I've done that or if that's if happened in my life. And I would say this, it, it could be that, you know, someone wrote you a check for $100,000. And you have that check. You got it in your wallet or your purse. And you carry that around with you everywhere you go. And you look at it every once in a while. Particularly once a week but you've never actually cashed it. So maybe when it comes to the Spirit of God and your surrender to Him in faith, perhaps you've never actually done that. You'd say, well, I agree with his teachings, but nothing that he has done has actually been applied your life and so I invite you today in simplicity to respond in faith to the good news of Jesus to say Jesus I, I receive what you have done for me on the cross you paid the price you did what I I could not do you paid the price for my sins and I receive that and I receive your forgiveness and i receive the life that you want to give me through jesus and i want to be your child and so that invitation to you today is open you can talk to to myself you can talk to bernice after to someone beside you but just simply have you surrendered your life to christ let's pray as the the team comes up and we're going to prepare our hearts for receiving from the table and this is going to be a a common experience for us as a church that we can participate in together let's pray God uh, thank you for how you have worked in our lives in invisible ways tangible ways in ways that we just can't even see or can't see on this side of heaven Thank you for the ways that you have directed people into our life to share with us about jesus thank you for for friends for family members for pastors for small group leaders for people that have been faithful in sharing jesus with us and how we have in turn responded and continue to share that with others lord thank you for the, the experiences that we've had that have been undeniably god And encourage us to go beyond just those experiences to daily living, knowing that you are faithful and you are good, and you are a good father. Amen.